my kids? Monty, you're the biggest kid. Um, I can't think of a better way to begin this thought or message than simply leaving that song and engaging with the first chapter of Philippians and um, really beginning to ask and answer this question, Jesus, are you enough for us? And so um, in Philippians, the first chapter, verses 20 through 26, I would just like to have a time to ponder that song that we just sang, Are You Enough, Lord? Or maybe better asked, Am I allowing you to be the sufficiency of my soul because I know you're enough? And so, um, just reading with me, and then I want to talk about this for a few moments. Chapter 1 of the book of Philippians, verses 20 through 26. My eager expectation, Paul says, from a prison cell, writing to a church at Philippi, made up of a lot of amazing and unlikely people for the sake of the gospel. The church is expanding in this realm and he is saying to them, so my eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But right now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then we um, hear the verse that is infamous to many of us, for me, to live as Christ and to die as gain, because Christ is enough for me. And he goes on to, to have a little internal wrestling match, and I enjoy this wrestling match. Now, if I live on in this flesh, this is fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for your sake. Great thought for a church. Since I am persuaded of this, I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith in Jesus Christ. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound. That's awesome. So if I'm going to be on this earth and I'm going to walk about, don't know which I would choose right now, to be with Jesus is far better. But if I am to remain, there is going to be a boasting in the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. That's an amen for us. And so um, we're going to walk about this earth and those who um, walk about with us are just compelled by the goodness of Christ, because they are running into some people who have determined and defined this reality. Jesus, you are more than enough, and we love you. So um, while we were in South Carolina, we celebrated a couple of years of marriage. Thank you. Thank you. I really wasn't looking for class, but that's mostly like, I don't know how you've um, landed Susan, but we're clapping for you because that's amazing. And so uh, I was thinking about, you know, two instances. I'll share both of them with you and then a third. And just kind of help me to think about the scripture. Um, the first two really didn't, although they lead to my third thought. So my first thought was, um, I'm so thankful to uh, have married her and, and Susan, who's on the third row right now and wondering what I'm about to say. And then um, to, get, to get through the gauntlet to marry her was quite interesting. 
Um, I called her parents and set up this intricate lie to, you know, land from Tuscaloosa, where Jesus lives, to Birmingham, Alabama, um, to, to go and, you know, to ask the permission thing. And, um, like, she's completely misled, and we're hanging out almost daily, and so she's, you know, I'm, I mean, my lies weren't working, she's suspicious, but uh, I walk into the, uh, I walk into the house, and you have to know this about my father-in-law, who's with the Lord now and repenting of all of his ways with me. And so, uh, but he's a West Point grad. He's uh, trained in the arts of torture. And so uh, he's sitting in his chair, and he has his chair. And when I walk into the room, to um, his right is a weapon, a gun. And uh, sitting across his lap is his West Point saber. That's the beginning of the discussion. And so we carry on from there to get a little permission for her hand in marriage. And I really thought, because we've known we've known them for a year, I thought this is going to go pretty smooth. It's not smooth at all. There is this grilling that's going on. I, I love the question we got to. You know, um, you know, Susan is. We need her to be cared for in a certain way and provided for in a certain way. How are you going to do that? And I said, Well, I'm going to live off of the money you give us. Thought that would be a sufficient answer. He laughed for about two seconds and then unsheathed the saber. And so um, it was great. So I, it was pretty interesting for me to have that experience and, you know, to ultimately at the end of the night, you know, hugging something and, and you know, yet we were married now. We celebrated. And then, um, and then I had the same experience myself. Um, and I, I wish in my heart that I were more, um, West Pointish. In fact, um, I don't know many dads that have the privilege of actually standing and watching. In fact, it's a very rare occasion uh, to stand and watch. I didn't see you over there, but stand and watch your impending son-in-law ask for your daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, ask her. And so um, I had a response to this question, and I thought I would just show you my response. It's on the screen right now. Um, yeah. We kind of had to fake that, didn't we, man? That was like nothing at all. My real response was something like this. We stood at a cross, kind of watched it happen. It was a beautiful moment, a sacred moment. And I I thought, um, as I read a story this week about asking for a hand in marriage, that there's some radical perspective about... um, So if there's any guys in the room that has aspirations of... There's still three single girls remaining... If you would write me a letter like I'm about to read, my answer will be unequivocally yes. While at the same time being unequivocally amazed by the grace of Christ. I was reading about Adoniram Adoniram Judson and his asking his impending father-in-law for his wife's hand in marriage. And I was reading about asking for Anne to be able to be betrothed to him and ultimately be married to him and the questions that he asked of his father-in-law in light of Philippians 1, 20, because it seems a little otherworldly for me to read those verses and think, God, can I live with such radical passion? And so I thought I would read to you um, some portions, or not portions, the entirety of letter that was written to Mr. Hazeltine so that he would potentially say to Adoniram Judson, who ultimately was a missionary, um, that he would ultimately say, yes, you may have my daughter's hand. And now um, there are, I only put two or three of his quotes 
in this letter on the screen for you. And hopefully I'll just kind of point at Todd and say, here's what he asked. And so he wrote again, Mr. Hazeltine of Bradford, asking for his daughter Anne's hand in marriage. And the first quote is here. I now ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. That's not a big deal until you finish the sentence. To see her no more in this world. I eagerly expect and hope that I in no way will be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. So he didn't put that in the note. I'm just adding the little scripture right here. And so he just kind of then said, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land or her subjection to the hardships and the sufferings of a missionary life, I ask that of you. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps to a violent death, I ask for your consent. I'm thinking right now that Mr. Hazeltine has the fist up. What an incredible response. And then this is on the screen, Todd. Can you consent to all of this? For the sake of him being Jesus, who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of the perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and for the glory of God. Aspirations in this room? Write this letter to me and I'm in. Aspirations for those of us who are sitting and saying, are we betrothed to Jesus? May we look at him and pen a letter like Paul who says, I long to be with you. That is amazing, but I prefer if God would will it that I could be with him right now, which is far better. But if I'm going to stay in this role with you, it is going to be fruitful gain for you. There will be blessing and knowledge and joy and abundance. And the name of Christ will be amplified in this world. He ended with this. This is on the screen, Todd, as well. Can you consent to all this? Listen. Can you consent to all this in the hopes of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? With a crown brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathen saved through her means from eternal woe and the despair that may be a part of our temporal life, but for the abounding goodness and glory of God, which will redound in praise forever and ever. Amen. And so I I thought, for me, that some of these verses came alive as I read Adoniah Judson's asking for the hand of Mr. Hazeltine's daughter in marriage. And so what do I learn not only from that, but what do I learn from Scripture? And how is God challenging me as I read these verses? I, I think there's two things that I would just like to present to you today and for you to ponder, not really in light of my words, because they're of far lesser importance, but in light of the words of Scripture as Paul writes in Philippians 1.20, I eager, ex- eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed about anything. 
But as always, Christ, with all courage, will be honored in my, in my body. Whether by life or by death, I pray that the hardships that may lay before me, the joys that abound before me, I pray that they will be a part of who I am. And more importantly, that God's name will be made known in this earth. Remember, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. The first thought that I had, which is again on the screen, Paul's concern has no bearing with the outcome of his current trial. That's, that's not even of essence for him. He's not sitting around saying, I eagerly expect and hope that you and the church of Philippi will be praying that the judge will have wisdom and will free me. That's, that's not his prayer. Paul's sitting around going, I eagerly expect and hope that there will be in no way the shame of the gospel because what will potentially release me may be me stepping away from the boldness that is needed for God and for his glory. So if I am asked, here's my prayer of the church, I'm not asking you to pray about the outcome of the trial. I am asking you to pray about the legacy of the name of Jesus. And I am praying for us as a church as we um, walk our way through the book of Philippians, but far more importantly, as the truth of God's word walks its way through us, that we will we will stop asking questions if you were in small group this morning about our resources or about the wilderness that we're currently walking in or about the challenges that will face us. And we begin to ask these questions. God, I'm not nearly as concerned with my current trial as I am about the legacy of your name in this earth. When he says, I eagerly expect and hope, it's a fantastic Greek word. What he is saying is, I am looking forward and I am truly straining my neck in forward look at what God is doing here. And so once again, Paul sitting in prison says, my neck is strained toward the hope and the promise of the gospel and the central beauty and wonder of Christ. I am far less concerned about the outcome of my temporal circumstances and I am far more impassioned about the eternal name of Jesus. I would encourage you to write that down and wrestle with that. And and I would like to write it as a truth and then allow the Holy Spirit to work its way through us. And since it's not my notes, let me try that again and it will probably come out different. I am far less concerned about the outcome of the current trial that I am walking through and I am far more concerned about the name and the fame of Jesus Christ in this day. I don't know that that is my personal desire as I walk this earth. I don't know that that personifies my heart. But as a follower of Jesus, I am asking God with fear and trembling in Philippians 2.12 to work that out in my salvation. To work that out as a part of becoming more like Jesus that I'm less worried about the wilderness the sack that I have in my hand, the only thing that I have in my hand is the chips and a piece of bread, the lack of ability to meet the needs that I see around me. I'm far less concerned about that and far more concerned with the presence and the power and the wonder of Christ. And that the legacy that I leave for my children, for this this body of Christ, as long as God allows me to be a part of you, the legacy that I leave with you is Jesus' name and Jesus' glory. That's, That's the hope. Paul's straining his neck for this. He prayed for courage to present the gospel. He prayed for sufficient courage to present the gospel. He prayed for openness. He prayed for boldness. He had no desire to be timid or ashamed. 
He understood the call of Christ and the implications. And that same bidding that was a part of Paul's heart for the kingdom of Jesus is the bidding of Christ for our hearts today. In fact, Jesus said it this way, If anyone is going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and run hard after my heart. That's a little Mark Siegel elaboration. If anyone is going to follow after me, he must deny himself. Jesus repeatedly said this to us as we contemplate what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And though none would go with us, we still will go. I think this is in, in, in a world that is repeatedly revolving around self. Jesus repeatedly said this, and we see Paul, we see Adoniram and Anne, we see this marvelous picture of the glory of God being the central story. And Jesus kept saying this over and over, follow me, then lay down your life. Follow me, then you're going to chase me. Follow me. In a world that is repeatedly revolving around yourself, here's what I think the message that we hear every day is this. Protect yourself. Entertain yourself. Comfort yourself. Promote yourself. Preserve yourself. Take care of yourself. And Jesus says, slay yourself. If you want to become a part of the kingdom of Christ, come to the cross Deny yourself and follow me. If you're in this room and you're kind of wondering, what's the message of this church? I'm not sure the message of the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus is this. Die to yourself. So that you come alive to the things that are extraordinary and that count on this earth. Otherwise, you will default to this. Entertain yourself. Take care of yourself. Meet your needs. Meet where you are. Take care of what you need. And you will completely fell in the legacy that God intends for you to leave on this earth. Far more concerned with your trial and whether you will be allayed of this current and temporal suffering than concerned about the legacy of the reality of the power of Jesus manifest through you. So... um, If you are wondering what it means to be a follower of Jesus and you sang that song, Jesus would say this way, slay yourself. Deny yourself and come follow me. And as Paul already knew, some of you say, oh, I'm going to lose something here. No, you're going to gain something amazing here in the glory and the wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul's answer to this was an easy yes. Because in Jesus, he had already pursued some things of this world. And in Jesus, he had found the sufficiency that he had been craving so deeply. And so he just said, Lord, I want to love you. And I want to love you because you have come after me in a way that surpasses my comprehension. You've brought satisfaction in my soul that supersedes the current circumstance. And God, I'm satisfied with you. I wrote this thought down. I think it has room for it on the screen. Paul eagerly, willingly, and gladly denied his life in order to know, follow, and gloriously proclaim the life he had found in Jesus. And I think the word I put in there, not only gloriously, but eternally gloriously proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that for us as a church. 
That we would be a people who are just saying, God, we are free in you. As I was reading and thinking of this verse, I thought of Hebrews 12.1. Christine Kane was speaking a few months ago about this verse to me. And she talked about joy and faith being predicated upon, um, not predicated upon our situation. Not concerned as Paul wasn't, how's this trial going to go? But more concerned with legacy. And not just any legacy, but that Jesus' name is made known. And she, you're right in Hebrews 12, 1, since we're surrounded by such a crowd of witnesses that surround us, let us lay every, every hindrance aside and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race that lies before us to understand how powerful that is. Following or preceding that in the entirety of the 11th chapter were a group of people who found the cause of Christ to be worthy. In the 10th chapter, it was about a group of people who said the greatest thing that makes up this group of people is their willingness to endure. To stand in the midst of the faith and look at this and say, I know that our light and temporary afflictions are but for a moment. So we are going to endure in this moment. And so they've read this whole great encounter about Paul, about heroes of the faith, about things that count, about things that matter. And then they say, oh, by the way, we're now in the next generation. It is us also. This is us also. Let us run this race with endurance. Us also. Let us stand in this, no matter the circumstance. And Paul amplifies this when he says, this is our mandate. This is our privilege. Us also, Lord. Graft us into the pages of your scripture as we are surrounded by those who have laid aside every hindrance. God, us also. Us also far less concerned with the outcome of our temporary circumstance and far more concerned with the fame of Jesus. You and I live and move and have our victory when we live and move from that, from that truth. Us also, Lord. For me to live, it's Jesus. For me to die, it's Jesus. And Paul wrote a second thing in this text. First, he said, he just kind of said, if you haven't heard this already, I'm a lot less concerned about what's going on right now. And I'm a lot more concerned about the eternal implications of how I live in the midst of what's going on. I think the second thing he said, and then I will, I will begin to wrap it up because it will give us plenty to think about. I think he said to us, being alive is a gift of grace. That's, we were, uh, Ryan had us be silent for a moment. And so, um, I, you know, I was, I was being still before God and then I, I was sitting right in front of a baby and I just, I had such a good worship moment. Just sitting and going, God, this is a miracle of your creation. So I'm just lifting up Jesus as I'm listening to the coos in, in behind me and going, this is so right, Lord. And being alive is a gift of grace. It's a miracle. And my, my thought as I, as I really angled into this is, and, and, and we have to understand through this scripture, not through any idea that I bring to the table, we're alive for God's glory and others' good. And so if I begin to realize this, this is the whole thing Paul's reconciling in his heart right now. I want to be with Jesus. But if I'm going to live in this flesh, there's going to be fruitful work. I don't know what to choose. It's my desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
but it seems like for the next little bit at least, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So if I'm going to remain in this body, there's going to be work that I do. There's going to be joy that comes. There's going to be knowledge of the Spirit of God. It's going to be beautiful in this world. And the name of Jesus is going to be made more boundless because of your walk. There's two things that I'm just wrestling with in this passage. One is, God, I want to be a lot less concerned about my temporal implications and expectations and more concerned with my legacy of Jesus' glory. And secondly, God, I just want to thank you that you've allowed me to live and breathe exactly where I am today because it's not accidental. You are sovereign. You have divinely placed me. And so if I am living where I am and walking about as I am, then I am doing it for your glory and others' good. It's just that it's that simple. I think it could be this could be simplified down into that easy or that beautiful of this of, of a circumstance that God, I want your purpose and your passion on this earth. Here's what Jesus said about that. I was I really thought of this verse about five minutes ago, so hopefully the Holy Spirit will connect it equally right now. What Jesus said about this is the thief in John 10 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's a beautiful tag. It's got a transitional, but I have come that others who walk around and encounter me will have life and have it to the full. And so if Jesus is saying that of his purpose on this earth, then you and I are going to encounter people who have been, who have had theft in their lives of things that matter to them, who have had stolen in their lives things that are deeply dear to their heart because the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy and who have lost some temporal things on this earth, but, but they're not seen as temporal. And so therefore Jesus in his wonder walked this earth saying, I want you to experience the abundance of my God. And so I would like to be able to walk about with you understanding and teaching and living and fleshing out the abounding nature of God because there are things that have been stolen. There are things that have been destroyed and I want to redeem those things for the sake of the glory of my Father. And if that's Jesus' mission, that's our mission. I honestly have never read that verse without latching into that promise. Thank you, God, that's for me. But if my purpose on this earth is for his glory and others good and Jesus has taken up residence in me and he has told me in scripture that I carry the same ministry of reconciliation that he carries and that I am walking about in this earth as he walked about and his power and his spirit and his presence are my makeup then I am coming into this earth speaking to those who have had stolen thievery and death and I am standing in the midst of them saying there is abundance and there is joy and it is full, and his name is Jesus, and I carry him here. That's the power of our privilege as we walk this earth. I have come, I'm not Jesus, and I don't have any fantasy of that, but Jesus lives in me, and I'm hidden with Christ in God, and so I am coming with the fullness of Jesus Christ, as Paul said it in the book of Romans. So when you, when you watch me walking up, I'm watching up as filled, I'm walking up as filled with the Spirit of God as I can get. Because to live here on this earth is a grace gift of God. And if I'm going to live on this earth, it's going to be for His glory and others' good. And it feels like if I'll answer that question, then the first question will take care of itself. Then the legacy I will leave will be no other name but the dust of the Savior. That's the power of the Scripture 
and the wonder of what it means to sort this out for the sake of God's glory. I think because, as I said this, this is for, this is Jesus' purpose. It is also ours as well. Paul said it this way in another text. No soldier gets deeply entangled in civilian purposes. My father-in-law would have liked this verse. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I feel like I am so often entangled in civilian pursuits when God has called me to something greater. But no person who understands the clarion call is really wrestling down with the temporal, how's this going to work itself out? They've got far greater aims in this world. So I'm pretty sure that, that just in a, in a moment of confession, it's not preacher confession, it's just real. I am pretty sure that much of my life abounds in civil, civilian pursuits. And I long for Jesus to sort this out within me and, and to work in me as only he can so that I really stop worrying about how the trial is going to work out and I more live out what he wants to do as a legacy of his glory. I want to become far less encumbered with civilian pursuits and far more entangled in the pursuits of the King of Glory. And I long that for this church as well. And I think if most of us could have confession, if you're anything like, you don't have to be like me, if you're just walking this earth, civilian pursuits, things that are temporal, draw us. And Jesus is longing for us to leave some things at the altar today so that we... We walk about with pursuits that are far greater. Kingdom pursuits are not Sunday pursuits. Kingdom pursuits are not things that we put on when we feel like being a little Jesus-y. Kingdom pursuits are who we are. It's what makes us tick. I'm pretty sure that that's, that's the longing I have. I think Paul is saying, live abundantly. I wrote this simple way. I, I don't know how this fleshes this out for you. I tend to, um, I didn't write this down. I, t- I tend to be much more skilled at kingdom pursuits when um, I'm off in some very intentional thing and, and much more lazy. I, I, gosh, today's Bible study lesson in my group is going to weigh with me for a while. I won't dig into that. I, I tend to get really civilian when I get into my own comfort zone and desires and and I, I long for Jesus to say, look, I, I want you. I get, I am very on the tip of the spear when I go walk in another nation or go walk in another part of the city or go over and sit down in some of the ministry of the city. And I'm, I'm like very on point with that and very on point with spiritual conversations and thoughts of Jesus and, and honoring and glorifying him. And I, I really ran across this idea. What I think Jesus is inviting us toward, if this is going to become a reality for us, is that every single day, every single day is a day on mission for his glory. Every day. Every day I wake up, I crack my eyelids, and first thing I think is, God, your grace and mercy is new this morning. Thank you. It's a new day. I get to live this day. My second thought is, today's a mission trip. What do you have in store for me as I walk up this day and I walk out this day? Who will I encounter for the sake of your good and your glory? Because today is a mission trip and therefore I don't categorize days as Jesus days and other day as non-Jesus days. Every single moment of every day is Jesus day. 
And it becomes beautiful and powerful. And I just want to wake up and go, God, every day, it's a mission trip. I think I, I want this is on the screen. We are expanding his kingdom every day in every circumstance, every moment for his glory. And if that's happening, joy is deepened, uncommon joy. Not like, okay, that trial's over. I'm doing well now. No, no. Joy in it. Joy while you're sitting in prison is deepened because we're walking about with the abundance of Jesus. Faith expands. Disciples are made. Hope abounds. I am straining my neck to see this happen because of the Spirit and the fruit of God among us. I eagerly expect and hope that in no way you'll be ashamed, but we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in your body, whether by life or by death, for among us to live is Christ. And among us to die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is better before far, but I'm going to live among you. And in living among you, there will be fruitful labor. And in living among you, there'll be abundant joy because the thief among us, the thief that walks around us is longing to steal, kill, and destroy. But when I walk among you, because I'm filled with Jesus, I am eagerly straining toward him. When I walk among you, there is an abundance of him in his presence. In his power, in his glory. And so I close with the same way I opened, with two statements. They're really questions for Mr. Hazeltine. Todd has them for you on the screen. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? Can you consent to this for the sake of perishing immortal souls? For the sake of Zion. For the glory of God. I am straining my neck to hear your answer. Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in a world that is filled with glory? With a crown of righteousness that is brightened by the acclamations of praise that shall resound to your Savior from heathens saved through her sacrifice from eternal woe and despair for the glory of the cross. I am far less concerned with the trials of this world and far more concerned with the glory of Christ. As a result, I believe that walking this earth is a gift of grace. And because it's a gift of grace, it is for His glory and for others' good. Amen. Jesus, thank You. We love You. We praise You for Your goodness. God, I pray that You would um, settle us this day in who you are, and whose we are as a result. That, God, you would give us not a sense of uh, doing better or being better, but, God, I pray that you would give us a sense of holy rest in who you are within us, who you are to us, who you belong to be through us. Jesus, I pray for this church that we will settle seeking civilian pursuits or temporal a laying of sorrows. And God, we will care more
for the legacy of Jesus' name a thousand years from now. Because it's who we are, who we're becoming. I pray, Father, that this church, we who make up this church, will understand that to breathe this breath that we're breathing right now is a gift of your grace. And the breath wasn't given to us for any purpose other than your glory and others' good. Deepen us in that. We have a tendency to close our services singing a song and just opening a room for the Spirit of God to root us more deeply in His Scripture. 